Welcome to Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. I'm your host, Jim Dubois. Mass shootings reignite the ongoing debate over gun rights in America. The American Medical Association has declared that gun violence in the country is a public health crisis. Dr. Stephen Miles is a professor emeritus of medicine and bioethics at the University of Minnesota. He supports a public health approach to help reduce the number of deaths from firearms in the U.S. There are a million approaches here that could be done that would not interfere with people who want to hunt, target, shoot, and even carry guns for personal self-protection. We spoke with Dr. Miles in our studio in 2016 prior to his retirement from the U of M and bring you that conversation today. Dr. Miles, thanks so much for joining us on Dialogue Minnesota. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. After a mass shooting, we hear a lot of political rhetoric from both sides of the gun control issue. Can you give us some insight into how the medical profession views gun violence? Well, there are around 35,000 deaths a year from guns in the United States. Approximately two-thirds of those are suicide and one-third are homicide. This, therefore, is a public health concern in terms of the number of people who die and the manifold number more who are injured. Uh, the federal government uh, has, for the last 24 years, had a ban, essentially, on conducting research on gun morbidity and mortality, that is, gun deaths and injuries. That started with a ban on the Center for Disease Control, uh, then about uh, 15 years ago, it was extended to the National Institutes of Health, and then it was extended again uh, three years ago to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. And when you deal with public health problems, you don't want to turn off research. The NRA argues, well, gun death and mortality is not a disease, so it shouldn't be covered under these agencies. But when you look at something like an automobile, for example— we found that people were spearing themselves with their steering wheels. And so we added collapsible steering wheels and airbags. We found that they were being ejected from cars, and we added seat belts and shoulder straps. We found they were driving into bridge abutments, so we added collapsible fences in front of the uh, bridge abutments. These are public health interventions to public health problems, and a similar approach can be done with guns. Do we deal with a more fundamental political issue with guns than we do perhaps with steering wheels in cars? We might get some resistance from the auto industry if it incurs additional costs, but we don't have uh, this fundamental argument that this is something etched into the Constitution of the United States, that we have a right as citizens to own firearms. Does this complicate the issue and make it more difficult to uh, help people understand how gun violence could indeed be viewed as a public health issue? The extreme constitutional construction of the right to bear arms as being unregulated is actually relatively recent. Uh, it's less than 25 years. Uh, and prior to that, we did not have that. Of course, uh, the right to bear arms at the time it was constructed referred really to the rights of uh, states to have their own uh, militias comprised of people holding uh, muskets. It did not uh, comprise the right of people to hold assault rifles. 
We can talk about the human toll of gun violence in a moment, but let's talk about the impact of gun deaths and gun injuries on our health care system in terms of the economic costs and demands on resources. Uh, tell us more about that. How big of a medical issue is this? It's uh, on the scale of uh, automobile deaths. Uh, it's uh, essentially a few more deaths uh, than uh, in automobiles and a lot of injuries. The special tragedy here is that many of these are accidental, and furthermore, gun deaths, uh, to the extent of homicides, are inflicted on other persons who are frequently not involved. When we talk about uh, guns in the healthcare system, one of the particular tragedies is that guns and suicide, which is somewhere around 24,000 deaths a year, uh, guns have vastly increased the deadliness of suicide attempts. If I try to hang myself or take an overdose of drugs, the odds are that I will be completely recovered. If I put a gun to my head, I am going to have a 100% lethal event, and I'm not going to have uh, medical expenses, but I'm simply going to be a loss to my friends, family, and community. Now, you mentioned before we went on the air that uh, there's research indicating that uh, suicides are enhanced by impulse actions and the easy access to guns in, in the case of people who may have a gun in their home if they're having suicidal thoughts. What do you say to people who would argue, well, if they don't use a gun, they'll find another means to take their lives? Well, it's quite interesting that... When you look at states and sort them according to the percentage of households that have guns, you see a straight upward relationship with the number of suicides. But then when you go to the states that have fewer households with guns, you do not see more non-gun suicides. What that means is that when the guns aren't there, the suicides don't happen. That is, people don't go out and strangle themselves or take drugs. Uh, what's also interesting is that when one looks at homes with gun suicides, one does not see a greater rate of mental illness, uh, psychiatric counseling, use of antidepressants, and so forth, suggesting that it is the availability of guns and the impulsive suicide uh, moment uh, that is the lethal combination, not a special predilection of psychiatric illness. We're talking with Dr. Stephen Miles. He is professor of medicine and bioethics and the Moss Family Endowed Chair in Bioethics at the University of Minnesota's Medical School. We're talking about gun violence as a public health issue. We hear a lot, Dr. Miles, about gun violence in African-American communities. We, we hear about it in Chicago. We hear about it on the north side of Minneapolis, on the south side of Minneapolis. What is the reality? We, we hear a lot about black-on-black -black crime involving guns. Is, is that overstated uh, in your estimation? It is not overstated. Each of these deaths is a tragedy. But that being said, one has to realize that the true center of gravity uh, for gun deaths in Minnesota is suicide among whites. Let's suppose perhaps around 150 murders uh, in Minneapolis a year, something like that. Uh, at the same time, uh, approximately 800, 850 uh, suicides 
almost exclusively, incidentally, within the white community. And so uh, the problem is that what the press does is they focus on black and black gun deaths as the center of gun violence in Minnesota, where really white suicide is the vast, vast majority of the problem. Dr. Miles, why do you think the issue of suicide by gun gets relatively little press? Uh, There's a stigma attached to uh, mental illness. Uh, There is a special tragedy when an innocent party is uh, killed and our focus on crime stories rather than personal uh, mental illness tragedies radically shapes and misshapes the news environment for covering gun deaths and injuries. Were we to have a fair discussion of suicide as part of the total public health picture of gun deaths, then we could uh, see our way more clearly, I believe, to understanding the role of the prevalence and easy access to guns as part of the overall picture of the problem of gun death and injury in our society. Besides suicide, what are the other risks for households with guns? In violent households, uh, for example, uh, where there has been uh, domestic violence, the presence of a gun increases the rate of a lethal event in the home by approximately eightfold. That's been a, a, a big particular issue. Um, and then also, uh, when one looks at the relatively small number of gun deaths, and it's very hard to study um, gun injuries, uh, there is a straight line relationship again with the prevalence of guns, that is how common guns are in households and accidental injuries, particularly to children uh, with guns. Accidental injuries to kids are the vast majority are in the states with the most guns per household. And that's been a problem with particular tragedies uh, in this state. How do the gun laws in Minnesota compare to other states, and how do they affect the rates of gun violence here in Minnesota? Minnesota actually uh, sits more or less in the middle in terms of uh, number of guns per household and uh, more or less in the middle on uh, number of gun deaths. The Brady campaign, with which I'm not affiliated, grades our laws at a B+. Uh, We do not have uh, a number of laws uh, pertaining to registration of ammunition sales, reporting thefts from gun uh, stores, and so forth uh, that have been uh, part of the national scene. We have also not followed up on uh, laws that some states are pioneering with regard to putting delays on gun purchases to decrease impulsive purchases in immediate uh, advance of a uh, Uh, suicide or homicide, and we have not followed up on uh, allowing the confiscation of guns from homes where there has been acts of domestic violence. You are listening to a conversation with Dr. Stephen Miles, Professor Emeritus of Medicine and Bioethics at the University of Minnesota, originally recorded in 2016. Dialogue Minnesota will return after the break. If you're talking We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy, so we show them how. And we tell them, with honest conversations, that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often, 
from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that.